0: This is John Shannon with Radio Free Galisteo. I am speaking with Chris Madrid, and Chris Madrid is a farrier, blacksmith, and ironworker. What am I missing?
1: Yeah, I think you're you're right on track there.
0: It's actually more than that, too. You're a champion blacksmith, farrier, ironworker. Is that not true?
1: Yeah, Yeah, that's true. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, I really appreciate it. Let's talk about your championship first. You've recently gotten an award, but I think this isn't your first one, is it?
1: No, this is the fifth national championship I've won uh, this past year in 20, 2020. The first one was in 2012. So five in between 12 and 20. So
0: You got five more in, in between? No, yeah,
1: just in between, you know, including those two on, on the ends.
0: Well done, man. Okay, so how does one become a champion at this particular... Now, is that as a farrier or as a blacksmith?
1: That's their farrier competition. So a farrier is a combination of a horseshoer and a blacksmith. So these competitions are made up of traditional style where you're hand-making horseshoes and shoeing. So it's a combination. The first two days of the contest are like qualifying days. Everyone's trying to qualify for the for the live shoeing. So then there's two days of forging, and then the last day is live shoeing day, and you get to shoe a foot and make a specimen. And that that's one format of a particular competition. There's there's other formats out there where there's like team events and there's uh, several several others. But that those are a series of competitions. That that format that I'm speaking of. There's a series of those competitions throughout the year. And so at the end of the year, the, the most points is your national champion. So that's kind of how that, that worked out.
0: And so, so these are held across the country then?
1: Yeah, and you can look it up on the Internet. There's a, there's a company, it's called World Championship Blacksmiths, LLC. And they have a website and they, it's, it's all laid out on that, on that website.
0: Can people find your picture on there at this point? Uh
1: you uh, you may find a picture. Of, uh, you know the the list of your name listing. You'll see where where all the competitors are from and stuff like that. Yeah.
0: What do you think is the hardest part of those uh, contests?
1: Oh man, it seems like it changes. I started competing when I was uh, let's see, in 2015, so I was 20. Mm. From from then till now, it's kind of evolved I would say in the beginning it was more kind of getting physically in shape for it and then uh, as time goes you're you're obviously in shape because you're doing it all the time but staying in shape and then also the mental part of it I never thought that there was you know I didn't I didn't think of it back then as much as I do now and it's helped big time because you can under pressure, if you're mentally tough, you can achieve things in your shop when no one's there compared to doing it at a Madison, Wisconsin at a horse fair where there's hundreds of thousands of people walking through, you know? So there's just the different situations and, and being mentally tough to handle the pressure. And of course, going to the finals and then in the finals, you know, you have one more round and you may be neck and neck with somebody else in points and being able to overcome things like that. So,
0: yeah. It's a physical and mental game all yeah. the way through it.
1: Yeah, I think so. And, you know, the knowledge of the craft, you, you definitely, you've got to understand anatomy. That's a big part of it because even though we're just making, you know, we're forging horseshoes, Without the knowledge of the anatomy, it's just a a piece of rebar with holes in it. But when it's suited for a horse's foot, now you're incorporating horseshoeing, and that's part of the ferry. That's where the anatomy comes in in, and the knowledge of where things need to be. When you compete,
0: is is it just here in the U.S.?
1: Um, Mostly in the U.S., but I also have competed in um, England and Canada, and I've done two clinics in Brazil.
0: Huh. In, in terms of these competitions, what what kind of title did you get out of those? Did you win these competitions? Or oh no,
1: no international, no international's tough. We did. A, it was a team event, and we uh, we won a couple of classes, but nothing overall. No, I think the best we've done overall is like a third place. As a team. As a team, yeah, okay. yeah.
0: But as a, as an individual, you're. As an individual,
1: one of my teammates won an individual uh, class out there. Besides that, yeah, we. It's tough when you're going to another country, and we didn't have it. We weren't running on all eight cylinders. We we gave it everything we had, but we just it just wasn't clicking. You know, it wasn't. So, hopefully, we get a chance. You know, after COVID, to go back and do something again. But right now. I think everything's shut down for a little while. They're supposed to have a, con- a big competition in uh, Canada. Canada's where they used to have the world championship, and they shut that down, I think, in 2014. But they're trying to get it back going as soon as travel with COVID kind of clears up, hopefully clears up. They're planning on doing the world championship again, so.
0: When you gave those clinics in Brazil, what what were you doing?
1: So in Brazil, I was demonstrating um, some forging, and I shot a few horses. I shot, uh, one of the clinics I did was at a veterinarian um, hospital, and we did a, uh, we did a laminitic horse. We looked at x-rays, and then I want to say we did a horse with, um, navicular syndrome and uh which is which is uh an issue with the uh, navicular bone i can't remember all the details it's been a couple of years but i know that those are those are two two of the lameness um uh, demonstrations i did out there it's pretty cool because we got to look at x-rays and do the job and then look at x-rays afterwards and examine the horse as he moves before and after it was it was pretty cool you know it takes a lot of time to do that so that's not normal but when you're doing a clinic setting you usually have a day to do something so you can kind of slow down and do all that it was it was interesting i learned a ton
0: as you said earlier anatomy big big part of it
1: yeah anatomy and and skill set you know you got to have the skill set
0: where'd you get your start
1: so i started uh straight out of high school. I graduated high school and went to a community college in Tucum Carey. I did uh two years there and in the summertime I worked with other farriers and then after shoeing school I continued to work with three three main farriers. But I always kinda took opportunity. I mean it was nothing to, you know, meet somebody at a clinic or a competition and go you know, stay a weekend with them and shoe horses with them and forge with them. And so I traveled as well. But, you know, if, if someone opened the door for me, I, you know, went in. I, I you know, I never let an opportunity pass up.
0: I take it this is something that you're, at this point, you're a champion at it. But w- would you say you're still learning?
1: Definitely. Definitely. I, you know, every con- it never gets easy. That's the biggest thing. Is uh, you know winning this last year, it almost seems like it's harder every year because competition changes. You get guys that are coming in that are younger now. You get guys that you know maybe you've had to battle with in the past, and they're still out. You know, there's guys that it, it's tough. It, you know, it, it's, they got their sights set on you their, too. You right? are the target. <laughs> when you win, you become the target, and yeah. and it just doesn't doesn't get any easier. So. I don't know if I answered that question. No,
0: no, Sorry. no, no. I, you, you, you did. You, yeah. you totally did. We're talking to you here in Galisteo. Uh, you, you grew up around here, right?
1: Yeah. So I, um, when I was in high school, I was in uh, Pecos. And when I went to college, my dad moved to Stanley. And um, that's where we live now. And I bought some property next to him and had a house built over the years. And um, we, we live in Stanley now, Yeah, where I have a house and a shop of a blacksmith shop there
0: do you uh, do
1: you take apprentices um I've never had an official apprentice I've had guys throughout the years come in and kind of like I would do come in for a weekend and you know spend three or four days with me and uh, maybe some guys off and on a little bit more than that but I wouldn't I wouldn't say I've had an official apprentice yet but I've had tons of guys throughout the years come I've had guys from out of the country come guys from all walks of life and been pretty interesting you know they come into your home and work in your shop and you have uh you you know you get to know people from from all over and you know everyone's raised different and different environments and it's kind of an interesting deal
0: apart from apprenticeships is there any other kind of get together you do with uh, the community of farriers around here
1: yeah i do um on thursday night i have an open shop night so after work we get together and um uh, just like-minded people we get together and we're um, usually I'm practicing forging for a competition or we're making tools preparing or anything along those lines I have I've opened it up to you know when when people ask they're they're welcome to come and I've had uh you know guys coming in there working on certification guys coming in there getting ready for a competition guys that have a horse they want to you know, need some advice on any of that stuff and and it's not only myself that that's there. I usually have several different guys, so if I can't help you, you know we usually have somebody that that's there that can I've had knife makers come I've had clients come I've had friends of the family, family, just all kinds of different walks in there and it's kind of a good way to break up the week and you know we're all interested in in learning something about the craft, so it's pretty uh pretty cool
0: and in the end, you all are doing the same kind of work exactly
1: we're after the same thing, and a lot of guys that I get are are more they're they're a little more advanced they've probably passed their certified their certified um tests, which is uh, through the a f a the American ferries association. Most of the guys are certified or certified journeymen, and they're wanting to Push further in the competition side of it, or trying to pass their journeyman, and they're they're focused on that. Help have helped them in all different areas.
0: How does how does one go about getting a certification from the AFA? What do you got to so do? So the
1: AFA has a, uh, a it's a membership association, and they have several levels of the of the certification. I think your your entry level. I don't know this for sure because it evolves. Through time and I haven't been involved in that in a while, but I'm still a certified journeyman at this point. The, I think entry level is your certified farrier, so you, you would have to part, pass a three-part test, and one part is anatomy, and one part is uh, your forging, uh, which is a shoe board, so you have to make uh, several modifications and create a shoe board and present it to the judges. And then the third part is the live shoeing. So you'd have to shoe a pair of feet in an hour to a certain standard. And they, they, they put out a guideline to pass what it takes to pass and what they're looking for and stuff like that. So the American Fairs Association would be uh, where you'd look for that, you know, their website
0: you obviously have a number of clients here in the area just just before you came here you were you were working on on some some horses up the road how many clients do you have at this point do you know
1: oh man it changes you know people move horses die i mean there's so many variables that are involved you know right now i don't know i haven't i haven't counted my clientele in several years last time i counted horses and i was up to around 200 horses on my on my books i don't know that i'm doing that many right now i might be it just it i would have to sit down and look at it again yeah it's been a few years since i've done that it's actually a good question i should (laughs) i should probably keep better track of that but you know well you're moving all the time man
0: i know you're like a moving target um is there a particular breed of horse that's more difficult than any other to shoe or they it just is an individual Mm -hmm. personality
1: I think it's I think it's the individual failure because um, I work with a guy uh, pretty often Mike Stone and he's a lot shorter than me and we were a good team because if we came across a horse that maybe I had a trouble getting around usually he could get around that horse because and I think it was because of size so you know you'll you can get on social media and everyone's an expert and people I hear all the time draft horses are the worst horses to do because they're so big, but I actually fit pretty good with a draft horse <laughs> if they stand good because they're so strong, you know, if they don't stand good. No horse that, that you know, any horse that does not stand good is, is not, you know, what, what a ferrier wants to work on, but I think for me, bigger horses are more suitable, but I've also really enjoyed shoeing like Norwegian Fjords, which are shorter, but they're super limber, Um, Arabians could be pretty limber. Those those kind of breeds are are a little more, they seem to be on the limber side. So I would say a limber horse is nice for a farrier. Although I do quarter horses, which are a lot more stockier, muscle bound. uh, Sometimes they can be pretty limber. Sometimes they can be really, really tight. So it just kind of, it just depends. I I think size is really, you know, the size of the farrier kind of goes along those lines there.
0: What do you love about this work?
1: Man, I, I think it's just a combination of everything. You know, you're having to deal with animals. So it. for me, shoeing a horse that stands well, and you know he's a he's a solid horse. The client tells you they use him. And it, for me, it's kind of rewarding to be able to give him a, a really good shoeing job, you know. And I always tell, like, if I got guys working with me, I tell them if the if the horse stands good, they deserve the best you can give them. If they don't stand good, you kind of have to you have to you have to have your own back. sometimes you may have to get in and out a little sooner than you would like to, but at the end of the day you have to get up the next morning and do it again so you have to make a choice and um I was taught by one of the guys I worked with I'll never forget this. I used to be real slow and spend a lot of time under horses, and he said, "You have to look at it this way, Chris. The longer you're under a horse that is not standing good, the higher your chances that you're going to get hurt. Being efficient under horses has helped me through time, you know, knock on wood. I haven't had any major injuries that have kept me from having to go to work, you know, so uh, I think that's one of the big uh, contributions right there is what that that advice right there for a client that can't go overlooked you know your horse has got to stand for the farrier that's number one of course the money it's a living you know so sure. you got to get paid yeah I mean the blacksmithing for me is a big part of it in high school I took welding all four years and so metal was always an interest for me so now blacksmithing I still continue to weld things do some some light fabrication but blacksmithing is really, I would probably say that's really where my heart is.
0: So are you doing anything that would be considered like artwork with your blacksmithing?
1: Yeah, I have in the past. Um, it comes and goes. I i do little projects here and there. I do a lot of stuff around the house, you know, little things. Uh, occasionally I make knives. I would not call myself a knife, knife maker. You know, I don't want to take on knife making jobs which seem like they're popular right now, I think, because of the TV show, you know. But, uh, yeah, I do some knife making, mostly as gifts. Uh, there, there's so much time involved in them. It's hard to uh, recoup to to make a living doing it. Sure. But, uh, yeah, I do, I do some oddball stuff here and there, fire fireplace sets, um, spatulas, steak turners. Things like that.
0: If somebody were thinking about getting into this business, what advice would you give them?
1: I don't know. I, I, I think I would say effort is big. You know, you, what you put in is what you get out. It seems like that, that's how it, go, it goes for anything, right? What you put in is what you get out. So if you're putting in 110% in the beginning, you know, chances are you're going you're gonna to learn you know, in, a, in a decent amount of time. I think if you're always kind of on the fence and it's a part-time deal, you're gonna struggle. And I got a guy riding with me every once in a while now and he, uh, I always tell him, uh, it seems like in this line of work, the more you learn, the more you realize what you don't know. For me, it was always going, if I heard about a horseshoeing clinic, go go see what what was going on. It didn't matter to me who was doing it or what they were about, I was always, an opportunity to pick something up, and not only that there's other horseshoers there, so you're getting around like minded people you're bound to run into somebody that's going to let you come to their shop, go ride with them, shoe horses, even in conversation, learning something about business or types of uh ways to shoot different breeds of horses or different uh disciplines, so I guess pretty much. In a nutshell, don't ever let any opportunity go by. I see so many guys, I can't afford it, or I don't have time, or, you know, to me that's all excuses. If you want something bad enough, there's nothing going to get in your way.
0: You've been listening to Chris Madrid, our champion blacksmith, farrier, and ironworker, right here in uh, the Galisteo Basin. For Radio Free Galisteo, I'm John Shannon. Thank you. Radio Free Galisteo is listener-supported radio. You can go to our Patreon support button on www.radiofreegalisteo.com and become an active supporter of this podcast.